Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Chrysalis. Part 10. Under the light of Zenvia's only sun, the Imperium Palace gleamed like a beacon, like a massive jewel, its polished outer walls reflecting the light of day and washing the gardens around the grand building in soft greens and blues. Breathtaking. But today, the gemstone appearance of the palace reminded me of fragility instead of strength. My pilot and I had arrived at Zunvir a whole two days before, but the local military had refused to let the strange ship the Terran had built us land there. We were diverted to one of the orbital defense stations and interrogated separately, repeatedly. With every passing minute, we squandered opportunities to gather information on the Terran's origins and intentions. I'd returned to a different Zunvir than the one I'd left behind with Makstani. Everyone here was scared, shell-shocked, tense. After the destruction of Yovit, the Republic hadn't been able to keep the nature of the Terran's menace a secret. And to make matters worse, the tense conversation between the Council and the Terran in orbit over Anakak's Farvin had also leaked. The Republic at large now knew that an exponential replicator was bent on destroying their civilization and had witnessed it vaporizing an entire council fleet via live broadcast. When I received the battle reports, I had felt a sinking sensation. My worst fears had materialized. Negotiations had broken down, and the council's secret weapon had failed unifying us all as the same enemy in the Terran's eyes. Our only success had been stopping the Terran from destroying yet another world. There was a chance we had killed the monster, but I doubted that. It wasn't clear what had happened after the last major explosion, but the Terran seemed too tenacious to die. Not that I thought it was indestructible, but... In it, I perceived the will that superseded physics. At least the replicator's offensive had been staved off. A temporary recess, though how long that would last was anyone's guess. As I walked across the gardens, I was worried, but the Zenvirians were panicking. Panic had the potential to turn sapient species into mere animals, reacting impulsively and unpredictably, without logic. And the ruling elite of the Zunvir Republic must have been aware of that because the palace was surrounded by a veritable army that would be no match for the Terran. They were defending the palace from a closer, more immediate danger. That of the Republic's own citizenry. Of a potential uprising. 
I finally reached the stairs leading up to the palace's southern entry and was stopped at a checkpoint manned by the Imperial Guard. This time, they weren't wearing the flashy golden uniforms they always had, but some nondescript black and gray combat armor. I also noticed that alongside the official golden emblem representing the guard itself, many of them had taken to wearing colored stripes painted on the surface of their armor, the colors of their respective tribes. I recognized some of the most influential ones, the red and yellow from the Verusna tribe, the same one the emperor belonged to, the blue and white of the Anakaks, the dark green representing the Sokoks. Was this a sign that the soldiers were no longer responding to the Congress of the Republic, or even to the Emperor himself. Was the Republic fracturing? Dismantling? Maybe I was overthinking it. Perhaps it was just posturing, each clan flaunting their strength, sending messages to the other leaders by way of decals. A soldier ushered me into the courtyard of the Admirals. I climbed the stairs, quickly. My sense of foreboding amplified as I entered the building. The main corridors were seemingly under a preemptive renovation. Ancient art and artifacts, all in various states of display. A few remained mounted and perched for all to see, but most were completely gone. As uniformed workers placed dozens of them into awaiting metal boxes, no doubt to be sent somewhere safer. The courtyard of the Admirals wasn't really a courtyard. It was a wide, high-vaulted corridor. And the Admirals were the dozens of life-sized bronze statues that lined its walls. There were no mentions of legendary battles, glorious assaults, or inspiring last stands. These only contained names, birth and death years, and the same exact epitaph of exalted will. The ones honored here weren't just military heroes, but pioneers. The leaders that had ventured into the unknown, weapon in hand, spearheading the military expeditions that had conquered entire star systems and colonized new worlds in the name of the Empire. All of them, no matter their successes or failures, were granted the highest honorific rank of Admiral. When I had originally visited the palace with Nextani, she joked at how misleading the room's name was, that the courtyard of the admirals was neither a courtyard nor had admirals, just conquerors and warlords bankrolled by one tribe or another. The emperor himself waited for me at the end of the corridor, next to one of the statues. The last time I had seen the head of government, the Zenvirian had been boisterously holding court at the dinner. It was hard to believe this was the same emperor. Just like all Zenvirians, the emperor was larger than me. Yet today he looked small and frail. He was wearing a reinforced gray combat coat over his favorite silky white garments, making for an odd combination. The military gear didn't fit his body, and I guessed it was his first time wearing any. Per protocol, I waited for the emperor to address me. Eventually, I got tired of waiting. Emperor, I believe we've been introduced before. I'm Dalkit, acting ambassador for the Galactic Council. We had an appointment. 
The Emperor's four eyes stared at me, the rest of his body still. Eventually, the Stoic leader spoke. Yes. I remember you. Tell me, thou kit. I have been a good ally to the Council, yes? I have agreed to your proposals. I have followed the treaties. I have committed to political reforms, economic reforms, implemented them. Is that not true? That is correct, Emperor. The Council is very pleased with your efforts so far, and we hope that ties between our nations... And... Then explain to me, Acting Ambassador Dowkett of the Galactic Federal Council. Explain to me why you have betrayed us. I... I I'm not sure I understand, Emperor. How has the Council betrayed you? Your admirals. They promised that they would stop the Terran, that they would protect our industrial world. I was confused. Did he mean Anakax Farman? Sure, it might not have been an outright victory, but the Terran had been stopped. The industrial world had survived. Emperor, I understand the battle was not decisive, and the Terran might still return, but judging from the reports I received, the world of Anakax Farman was indeed successfully defended. 70,000 simultaneous thermonuclear detonations in low orbit, an electromagnetic pulse so strong that it wiped out all electronic devices in an entire hemisphere. Thousands of power plants, factories, and manufacturing complexes all rendered useless. A complete breakdown of transportation, the orbital yards gone, no infrastructure for delivery of food or medicine, impending worldwide famine. But all this, acting ambassador, this... Is success to you? Yes. Yes, it is. As bad as things are, the alternative is what happened to Jovit. So, a slow death is preferable to a quick one, yes? I don't know the answer to that, Emperor, but perhaps the Terran does. Seeing as how it claims its species was exterminated by yours. The Emperor's bitterness melted to vulnerability as if he had removed that cumbersome, ill-fitting armor. Ah, yes. The allegations. Are they true? They are. I had kept a glimmer of hope that the whole ordeal would turn out to have been a misunderstanding, but I expected not. The video evidence the Terran had delivered was too incriminating. Was this the only time, at least... The only genocide committed by Zanvir. No. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In the year 2072, as our world reels from climate chaos, there is one beacon of hope. Pura. A sanctuary amidst the devastation, safeguarding its inhabitants from the relentless onslaught of environmental disasters. Meet Demetria Lopez, the face of Pura's pristine image. But beneath the facade lies a chilling truth. When Demetria uncovers a secret that could shatter everything Pura stands for, she faces a choice. Loyalty or truth? Preservation or revelation? 
From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death comes an electrifying new series, The Last City, starring the talents of Rhea Seahorn, Jenny Tirado and Maury Sterling, prepare for a gripping tale of intrigue and moral reckoning. Subscribe to The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you listen to podcasts. And for an exclusive experience, join Wondery Plus to binge all episodes early and ad-free. The future of Pura awaits. How could you do this? I didn't. It happened centuries ago. Here is the one responsible. I turned to look at the statue. It depicted a tall Zenvirian dressed in overly complicated robes. Stripes of cloth wrapped around his torso. I recognized the style from other statues and old documents of flaunting formal wear that had quickly gone by the wayside after the fall of the Empire. Reading the placard, the dates confirmed it. This admiral had lived and died almost 300 years ago, which placed him right in the middle of the age of imperial expansion. The Imperium Decree. Admiral Kanafta here was in command of a conquest expedition during the Second Surge. The fleet had been provided by the Gakasna tribe, and he was tasked with expanding towards the Outer Rim to claim the New Worlds in the name of his patron tribe. And he found the Terrans' world. Terrans, or humans as they called themselves, were a planetary industrial civilization with limited access to their orbital space. And he simply exterminated them. Why not just conquer them as was done to other races in the path of the Empire's expansion? That's what awaited such species during the later surges, after the decree was amended. But before that... The decree's initial wording had unintended consequences. Explain. The Imperian decree granted tribes administrative power over the worlds they conquered. But a different clause declared that any conquered alien populations were subservient to the Empire itself, and not to the conquering tribe. It resulted in all the taxes going to the Emperor's treasury while the conquering tribe was still tasked with enforcing the peace, quelling any rebellions, and financing the planet administration. So claiming the Terran's world would have been a monetary loss for the Kakasna tribe. Admiral Kanafta's conquest would have been more profitable if the humans simply... weren't there. The thought chilled me to my core. It wasn't... What I had expected upon hearing the Terran's accusation. This felt deeply wrong. Disturbing in its callousness, there was no anger, no hate, no xenophobia behind this genocide. Just simple economics. Somehow that made it worse. But did the Emperor do anything? After all, the genocide would also have robbed him of tax revenue... Indeed. Exterminating an alien population was illegal, even under the decree. But these humans weren't a very peaceful species themselves. They had nuclear weapons and tribes of their own that tended to fight one another. It was very easy for the Kakasna tribe to forge evidence claiming they had self-exterminated in a nuclear war. Judging from the Terran's own actions, not peaceful seemed like an appropriate label for their species. 
The forged evidence would never have held up in a trial, of course. It was an obvious falsification that would fool no one. But the power of the Emperor during that age depended on the support of the tribes and their armies. A trial against the Zandarians would have galvanized all tribes with similar war crime secrets. It would have caused an internal schism. A civil war. So the Emperor ignored it. And eventually amended the decree so that it wouldn't happen again. I didn't know how to feel. It was absolutely cruel and horrifying. It demanded justice and retribution, but it was also history. Ancient history at that. The admiral who had decided it, the soldiers who had carried out the orders, the emperor who had turned to blind eye, none of them were alive anymore. The power structures and laws that had incentivized it were obsolete. Even the Kakasna tribe had all but disappeared. The Terran, it was seeking justice, but there simply was no one left to punish. No one today was responsible for what happened yesterday. The only crime the current Zanvirians had committed was having been born the descendants of war criminals. Suddenly, a loud detonation interrupted my thoughts. I turned to see the end of the corridor, enveloped in a thick cloud of brown dust. I could hear the muffled sounds of far-off weapons discharging. Thirty of the Emperor's guards rushed into the corridor, clad in full combat armor, complete with helmets and energy guns. My immediate sense of safety in seeing them spring into action quickly gave way to worry when I realized the soldiers weren't moving towards the commotion. They had produced it, and were now surrounding the Emperor. They raised their weapons, pointed first at the Emperor, then at me. I noticed one detail that might seal my fate. All the soldiers were wearing uniforms with the same white and blue stripes, the colors of the Anakax tribe. I slowly lifted my hands as the Emperor turned to speak. Oh, uh, I believe you call this a coup, yes? That was part 10 of Chrysalis, performed by Corey Hawkins, Lance Reddick, and Matthew Wolfe, directed by Alex Kemp. Chrysalis was written by S.H. Serrano and adapted by Stephen Michael and Macklin Malogi. Chrysalis is executive produced by Corey Hawkins, executive produced by Stephen Michael, and associate produced by Sarah Newton at Gunpowder and Sky. This season is produced by Toby Lawless at Wolf at the Door Studios.
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 